Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. get through to all of us a message that he had about Juju Smith-Schuster and maybe for Juju Smith-Schuster. And I can't help but wonder what that means toward who really is the Steelers' number one wide receiver. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting Network. It's Steelers versus Browns, Sunday at 1.02 p.m. at Heinz Field. All kinds of layers to this matchup, the deepest and most interesting matchup the Steelers will have had to date by an uncomfortably broad margin. That's not to knock everybody or every facet of everybody that the Steelers have beaten through four games. But it is to say that the Browns bring things that those other teams didn't, and they bring more of them. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, both during the game and I think even beforehand, to dissect what might be happening. I'll be getting into some of that later in this show. First up, this question. Who is the Steelers' number one wide receiver? Before I give my own opinion... In this statement that Ben made the other day, and this was on his Wednesday morning uh, weekly call with reporters. He's had a, a weekly session with reporters every Wednesday morning forever. He was asked about something else entirely and ended up talking about how Juju Smith-Schuster, who is our number one receiver, was just a great teammate the other day after the Eagles game when Chase Claypool had the four-touchdown performance. Ben said that he looked over, and they were on opposite corners of the room, to Juju's stall because he just wanted to see how he was taking it. Ben is always kind of keeping an eye on the temperature of his receivers, especially the the quote-unquote star guys who might not be getting fed as much as they're used to because he wants to see if they're pouting or are they dragging a little bit or anything like that. Juju didn't have a bad day. He had four catches for 
25 yards, whatever. I mean, he, he also did some other good things, threw a couple of blocks, uh, ran a great pick on one play downfield, uh, drew double coverage with him on one of Claypool's touchdowns. So Ben's looking over there, and he sees Juju's smiling and laughing it up and everything else. And later on, you might have seen, if you're a social media person, Juju and uh, Chase dancing together on Chase's TikTok account. And Ben saw this and was impressed, and he went out of his way, A, to say that Juju's our number one wide receiver, and B, all this other stuff. He wanted us to know that Juju was being a great teammate and that he's not forgotten and everything else. Why? Because he has a pretty good awareness that it's going to get back to Juju. And it's not going to sound like Ben walked over and patronizingly said it to Juju himself. Does this make sense? Mike Tomlin does a lot of this. He sends messages throughout that locker room in his press conferences, especially in training camp. Wow, the training camp is like a lesson on how coaches can subliminally send messages to players about who's underperforming, who's underachieving, who needs to keep their egos in check, whatever else. Tomlin is great at this. Maybe Ben's learned some of that along the way over the course of 17 years. Ben wanted to make sure, no doubt in my mind from the moment I heard it on that call, that Juju keeps his chin up and understands that he still has to be a dominant force on this team, or at least a really, really big part of this team the rest of the way. Good, smart veteran move on his part. I'm not sure I agree. Um, I'm also not sure that my opinion counts on this. In fact, I'm sure that it doesn't. The only opinions that count on this are those of Ben, Randy Feetner, and Mike Tomlin. But mine, you're thinking, I'm going to say Claypool. Um, that's a little too easy right now. That is the, the low-hanging fruit after a performance like what that kid just had. But I don't think so. I don't think so. Not yet, and, and maybe not at all in 2020. The number one receiver on this team the number one wide receiver on this team, provided he can stay out there and make plays and ideally get off of the kick returns to make that happen, is Deontay Johnson. The Steelers understand have the worst degree of separation for their receivers of any team in the NFL. And what that means, plain and simple, there's advanced tracking now in football that can tell you how far of a distance a receiver, and when I say receiver, in this case, I mean someone who's actually catching the pass. No drops, no incompletions, no nothing. A receiver who's catching the pass. How much distance is there between that receiver and the defensive player covering him? Out of 32 teams, the Steelers rank 32nd in this at 0.85 yards, so roughly two feet and change, which is almost nothing, the length of somebody's arm. Juju isn't particularly great at this, and it was what hurt him 
more than anything I thought last year, in addition to obviously not having Ben around. Juju wasn't getting open. James Washington would get open, but not at any great rate. Deontay was getting open. And funny thing, out of those players, the one who just kept making plays, whether it was Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges at quarterback, was Deontay. Why? Because he knew how to break off a route, how to make a cut, how to uh, turn, how to adjust, how to move out of a pack and just let the QB know that you're out there. Some of it's spontaneity, some of it's just timing. He's really good at both. I could come back here with the obligatory Antonio Brown comparison. Never in terms of achievement, obviously. That'd be ridiculous. But style. A.B. was always open because he always had a trick up his sleeve. He always had a juke. He always had a cut. He always had uh, a route that was scripted just for his specific talents. And yeah, of course, there was a lot of spontaneity to A.B.'s game. Deontay has those things. Repeating for emphasis, not comparing the two in achievements, just style. Ben works really, really well with that. This version of Ben, who's been amazing with his decision-making, amazing with his precision, especially on short yardage, and amazing with his ability to keep his pocket active, to move if needed, and then still find that receiver who has the separation. That's going to be Deontay more often than not. Now, Ben's not going to say that he has nothing to gain by saying that Juju, as young as he is, is considered the elder and leader of that wide receiver group because he's been around the longest. Ben's not going to disrupt that. Ben has nothing to gain. The Steelers have nothing to gain by downplaying Juju, by dismissing him, by saying, hey, these other new guys, they're my new number ones. It doesn't help anyone. Never mind the impact on Juju or how his feelings might be hurt. It doesn't help the team win games. Juju in the Steelers opener in East Rutherford, New Jersey, was one of the two or three best football players on either side. He was outstanding at everything. At everything. He was a star in every way. He hasn't had all that many chances, but he also has had double coverages. And that brings me to my final point on this matter. Remember when I said that nobody's opinion counts on this? except for Ben, Randy, and Mike Tomlins, I was wrong. There's actually only one entity that decides who your number one wide receiver is. It's the opponent. It's the opponent. Watch the double coverages. That's all you need to see. Who does the opponent consider to be your number one wide receiver? They'll tell you. You don't have to guess because that's the guy 
who's lining up against two other people. More often than not, when the Steelers break huddle, that's going to be Juju Smith-Schuster. We'll see, right? We'll see. Part of the fun. When we come back, some stuff on Devin Bush. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back. After the Steelers' victory over the Eagles, I wrote a rough column aimed at Minka Fitzpatrick. I haven't been happy with his play. I haven't been happy with his lack of aggressiveness, but I really haven't been happy with his usage, which isn't his fault. When at all of these concepts pretty hard, I hope that if you missed it, you have a chance to go back and take a look. The reason I'm mentioning it this morning is that in the comments from some of our readers underneath there, there was a lot of, okay, you mentioned Minka, but what about Devin Bush? You left out Devin Bush. Where's Devin Bush in this column? This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp and medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. They've been keeping promises in this region for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City, or you could just learn more about them online at lgkg.com or by calling 888 888- 842-5454. Here's where I make a, a confession. When I began writing the column, or at least formulating the column that ended up being about Minka, on that Sunday night, it was actually about two players. It was about Minka and Devin Bush. It was twinned. I actually went out of my way to get uh, we call it giving up it, when you, you get videos of specific plays so that we can break them down. And in some cases, we show them to the readers within the column. And I'd started breaking down stuff. Uh, Chris Carter, our pit beat guy who still does a lot of work helping us out with the Steelers coverage, but especially this sort of thing because he's great at it, also started breaking down Minka and Bush at my request. And I start looking at this, and then I start looking at some of his statistics, and I remember a conversation that I've had with someone associated with the Steelers recently who pointed out 
something that I started looking for in these plays. And it was this. The Steelers, as a heavily blitzing team, by logic, leave themselves open to the screen pass. I mean, you've seen that at every level of football. When you send to the house, all the quarterback needs to do is dump it over your heads to a happy running back, waiting that ball like it's Christmas morning, and then they take off for a 30-yard gain. Ever wonder why that doesn't happen to the Steelers? That's what this person asked of me. Again, this was before the Eagles game. But I'm watching the Eagles game, just like you are. And I'm I'm waiting. You know, I'm waiting for 39 and 55 to make their impacts the way they did last year. And I'm thinking, you know, they gave up a first-round pick for Minka, and he looked like the second coming of Rod Woodson last year, and he's just missing in action. And Devin Bush, they didn't just get they didn't just put a first rounder into him. They traded up to get him. He ended up becoming the after effect of the A B trade. He made it all worthwhile. He was a really, really big deal, and he was making splash early on in 2019 as a rookie. And where did he go? Where did he go? But I kept this thing in my head. And the thing was that Devin Bush is almost singularly responsible for taking away the screen pass because when the Steelers blitz... And it's very rare that Bush is part of the blitz. He He's done it. He's gone in and joined. They're not that predictable. But when they blitz, he will find the running back or any potential target that emerges behind that blitz, and he eliminates it. He neutralizes it because he can cover. He can cover. He was asked tasked, really, when he was acquired with taking Ryan Shazier's place. And I'm sure nobody worded it like that to him. Awfully big shoes to fill. But the Steelers, ever since Shazier was hurt, didn't have that inside linebacker who was able to back off and cover. And if you wonder about the value of those guys, I would advise very strongly to look at Chase Claypool's fourth touchdown the other day when he lined up against Philadelphia's inside linebacker who nearly fell on his face chasing him downfield. Devin Bush has actually done really well in this regard. And to his credit, he's kind of an even-keeled dude. As much as he wants to do splash, as much as he wants to make an impact and be visible and everything else here, he knows that this is why the Steelers acquired him, and he knows he's not doing badly. Listen to what he had to say yesterday in a call uh, when asked pretty much how he thought he was doing this season. Yeah, um, we've been working on this week, you know, just being uh, tight as a, uh, as a unit. Um, you know, we have a good running game, have a good line, really good players on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, we just been, you know, working on our disciplines, you know, and playing our, our defenses um, at the right time and, and uh, you know, executing at the, at the right time and doing what we can, you know, to limit those those big runs. 
And uh, in terms of, of pass coverage, I feel like uh, my pass coverage has improved drastically from some last year. Um, still some things I got to work on, but uh, as a whole, I think I'm in a good spot. Good for him. I mean, the numbers aren't going to support any case that says Devin Bush is having a great first quarter of the season. They just aren't. He's had a good amount of tackles. He's not missing tackles. Uh, the Steelers run defense for the most part, other than you know the, the big pop the other day by Miles Sanders, has been very, very good. He's doing his job. He's not being put into positions where he's going to generate splash. He's way too young for me to be suggesting that he's, you know, doing something dramatic like sacrificing individual stats or taking one for the team or anything like that. But he's he's doing what is best for this particular defense. And if you want to understand that further, consider this, that the Steelers are doing something similar in challenging their corners to play effective man coverage while the rest of everyone else is blitzing. And that isn't working. And that is why the Steelers have been giving up all these third downs or these deep balls and allowing even ordinary quarterbacks to move the ball against them downfield. It's that Joe Hayden and Steven Nelson... In that order, I might add, haven't been very good. They certainly haven't been what they were last year. Devin Bush has been. He has been. And he absolutely should not be criticized for that aspect of it. So I'm happy to tell you that I don't always sit down with a column idea, even that late in the process, and stay married to it got to be open-minded and consider other information and I've watched again some of Bush on film even after covering that game live and thought what am I doing here he doesn't belong in the same sentence with the way Minka's playing right now that's why I didn't include it when we come back my goodness even more football Whether it's coronavirus or not, you are going home. Welcome back. I I wasn't aware of this. I thought I'd read pretty much every guideline and regulation that the league's put in place related to the virus, and not just the NFLs, but Major League Baseballs, the NHLs, and everything. And that was a new one on me. This came yesterday from Alan Sills of the league office and letting everyone know that this is how it's going to be from now on. If you show up at your team's facility and you're not feeling good, you got a fever, your nose is running, headache, uh, fatigued, muscles ache, whatever it is, and those symptoms in any way, shape, or form align with the more common symptoms of COVID-19, 
You're out of there. You're out of there. They send you home. The Browns did it yesterday with OBJ. Odell Beckham was sent out of there from Berea, Ohio. The practice facility showed up. Didn't feel great. See ya. Get out of there. Don't talk to anybody. Don't go within 10 feet of anybody. Put that mask on. Let's go. Get out of here. Go, go, go. There he goes. He was tested for coronavirus and tested negative. But as we've found out, these things bad about 700, even the most intensive tests, meaning the ones where they stick the giant Q-tip up into your brain. They're not perfect. So what the NFL's doing, and it kind of makes sense, is until you're symptom-free, we don't want you around because not only do we not want coronavirus, but we don't want to be worrying about everybody else or at least a bunch of others coming down with the same symptoms and then having to test all of them and holding all of them out. Does this make sense now? It does to me. I'm not sure why... This hadn't really come up before, but then Adrian Peterson, the great former Minnesota running back who's now with Detroit, same thing happened to him. Same thing happened to him. The Lions saw him, similar symptoms, didn't test positive, but sent him out of there. This was just yesterday. And it makes me wonder, not only... The obvious, which is whether or not this is going to help the league get through the remainder of this season by being extra cautious, which is what this is. But I also wonder this, because I, I do a lot of thinking about what society is going to be like after coronavirus. Uh, after we've, you're not going to eradicate the thing, but at least you've reduced it to the point where it's just another thing. You know, it's just another thing on the list of illnesses that we know how to manage and ideally can prevent with a vaccine. What's life going to be like after that? I do this a lot. Like, are we going to shake hands? Like, stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, why did we ever shake hands in the first place? Like, who thought that was a good idea? But are we going to continue doing that? And if so, who's going to be the one gutsy enough to be the first, you know? I mean, shaking hands. Think about this. We, we've all agreed at this point, no matter your, what your thoughts are on masks or this or anybody who is silly enough to make this political, we can all agree that your hands are your primary transmitters of germs. You know, your hands are what move the most. They would make the most contact. They're what uh, is most likely to make contact with your own mouth. Why were we shaking hands, you know? I mean, what's wrong with the elbow bump or even a fist bump where it's not the open hand? You don't know where somebody's hand has been. Not to get gross here or whatever, but, you know, even setting germs aside, like, I don't want, you know, why were we doing that? Well, I'm wondering about this, too. Because one of the many things that I've thought about through this pandemic is professional athletes are in fairly tight quarters. Um, they're bumping into each other and everything else. And in locker rooms, they're not dressed. Um, there's you know some kind of contact. 
that occurs in those settings. And whenever you'd hear about one player getting the flu, or do you remember when the mumps were going around the Penguins room? You'll find that it's never just one player. It ends up being five or six or even more than that. I want to say that the Penguins with the mumps thing, by the time Sidney Crosby got it, I want to say it was at least a handful. And yet nobody changed a thing. Nobody changed anything about their behavior. You know, they did some extra cleaning and so forth, but no one was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be shaking hands or uh, putting ourselves into a position where we can be breathing this thing or sharing this thing in whatever form. And the same went for when they were sick. The same would go when I was sick. I'd be under the weather, let's just say someplace on the road up there in Canada where it's really cold, my nose is running and I'm coughing and everything else, and I'm interviewing somebody and I have to stop for a second because I'm coughing and whatever, and the player would go, oh, man, I sure hope you feel better. But nobody thought they were going to get it, and nobody worried if they were going to get it. And I didn't have to go through anything to go into that room to come into contact with them. Again, I'm not talking about coronavirus. This is way before that. But there's a pretty good chance that if I go in there sick, and believe me, I'm talking about something in the past here. This won't be happening again. If I go in there sick, there's a pretty decent chance that I'm going to make somebody else sick, and then they will make somebody else sick, and it's going to impact the team's performance. This, this policy that the NFL has put in place, the one where they sent OBJ home, that they sent AP home, these are things I can promise you, you will see stay in place in some form long after we forget what COVID-19 ever was. This is going to be one of the things that sticks this pandemic into our culture. Mark my words on that. Thanks so much for listening to this show all week long. After Sunday's football game, we'll have another daily shot as well as a morning java that Dale Lawley and I will bring you from the lovely rotunda top Heinz Field. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.